It's Pastor John. So just by, just by a show of hands, how many of you trust politicians? Okay. I, I didn't expect there'd be too many. Because uh, poll numbers show us that overall, uh, we as Americans have the opinion that most politicians are to some degree dishonest, uh, self-serving, and shrewd. Uh, kind of like the, the true story of, a, of an actual congressman from the 1930s, a guy by the name of Senator Huey Long. Uh, you got, oh, yeah, okay. You, you, know, you know Huey? Uh, when he was running, this true story, when he was running for his Senate seat, he was campaigning in South Louisiana, uh, and before his official schedule began, he was taken aside by the local guy that was showing him around during the trip, uh, and he told him, you're going to speak to a lot of religious folks, particularly a lot of Catholic voters, so, so keep that in mind. Oh, well, throughout the day, I guess, uh, Long told his audience how as a boy, he would get up at 6 o'clock on Sunday mornings, he'd hitch the family horse to a buggy and take his Catholic grandparents to Mass, uh, and then now after he brought uh, them back, he'd turn around, brush the horse down, feed in water, and take his Baptist grandparents to their evening service. Oh, by the end of the day, uh, the local politician who had been taking him around complimented uh, Huey on his speech, but he said he was so surprised to learn that he had ga- Catholic grandparents because he said, I thought everybody in your family was a Baptist. Uh, to which Huey replied, don't be a fool, man. There's no Catholic grandparents. We didn't even have a horse. <laughs> that sounds like a politician, right? Now, And although Huey did have some major accomplishments and some genuine good was accomplished during his term in office, it was stunts like that uh, that left his biographers to wonder if he was a really shady politician or just a really shrewd businessman. Well, the reason I tell you that is because that's the same type of guy that Jesus tells a story about in today's lectionary reading as his lesson continues with another parable, but with one you may not be quite as familiar with, called the parable of the shrewd manager. And this is from Luke chapter 16, and I'm beginning reading in verse 1. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. You're following along with us. So Luke chapter 16, beginning verse 1. Jesus told uh, this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What is this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I I know how to ensure that that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager said, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer, he asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. I hear the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. And the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. And then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, 
who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. And let's pray. Father God, uh, we know in your word are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we ask you to open our eyes, Lord, that we can see the wonders of it in these next fleeting moments. Uh, empty our hearts and minds of preoccupations and fill us, Lord, with the gift of faith until we see Jesus in these words before us. And we ask it in his name. Amen. And so, you know, reading that parable kind of reminded me of something that Vicki and I had talked about before uh, when we had employees that went to a great deal of trouble to figure out how to steal from us. Uh, because we always figured if those same people would have put the same amount of ingenuity into their jobs that they had put into their crimes, they wouldn't have had to steal. Right? They would have been so successful they wouldn't have needed to do that because some of those folks were pretty slick. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about with this parable today. Jesus tells us there was a certain rich man, evidently a very rich man, because people were in debt to him on a large scale. And there were a lot of debtors, so many that he hired a manager. He put him in charge of all the assets of this big operation to keep an eye on it. Uh, and because he was the administrator of the estate, he had a high social standing, a high social position above your average person because he would be interacting with uh, very important people and maybe you know, even other big landowners on behalf of the master. And he got himself comfortably settled in his position and life was good. But he got lazy and he got entitled. And he began wasting his owner's possessions, using them indiscriminately and carelessly, uh, and probably to pad his own pockets, right? But he gets caught. And the boss gets upset, and he says, what's this I hear about you? What were, what were you thinking? I trusted you. So now clean out your desk. You're fired. But before you leave, make sure the account books are in order, because I want you to make account of what you've done. And suddenly the whole manager's world is crashing in, right? He's losing his job. He's losing his home because stewards normally lived on the estate that they managed. He's losing his income, and he's losing his reputation, and judgment day with the master is coming. And then a light bulb goes on. And we're told he says to himself, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. And I know who those people are going to be. It'll be all the people that I've been working with who owe a debt to my master, and I'm going to contact these accounts one by one, and I'm going to discount all their debts, and then they'll be obligated to me. So he summoned in each one of the master's debtors, and the deals were struck. And that's a pretty clever way to embezzle, wasn't it? D doing it in a way that secures the obligation of all those people to the manager so that he can go back to them and say, Hey, you, you remember what I did for you? Uh, I, I saved you a fortune, right? Now you need to give me a, a room and a job and uh, maybe spot me some cash because you owe me. Pretty ingenious scheme, right? But this is where Jesus throws a curveball into the story because in verse 8 he says, The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. And this is at least to me the point where you're reading the story and you go, Wait a minute, what, what did Jesus just say? Did, did he really say the boss praised the bad manager? Well, yes and no. Because he's not praising him for his incompetence. He's not praising him about his embezzlement and his deception. He's praising him because he acted shrewdly when he realized the kind of future that awaited him. And Jesus' point here is really direct, and this is it. He's saying, 
Sinful people act dishonestly to secure their future in very clever and ingenious ways, and they use the resources they have access to with discernment, whether honestly or dishonestly, to secure the best outcome they can secure. That's how the sons of this age operate. And then he interprets for the disciples and us, and he says, do you see what this manager did? He used what he had to purchase lodging for the future, his temporal earthly future. And that's what the sons of this age do. But you, he says, you need to at least be as sharp as they are. Because if the wicked of this age use every imaginable approach to secure their earthly future, shouldn't you at least be as careful in how you act about your eternal future? Right? He says, use your money and your possessions and your relationship, even though they're a part of this passing world, and make them count for eternity. And make every effort to live a godly life here and be diligent about preparing a reward that will be waiting for you in heaven and church. We need to be doing those very same things. So in just a few minutes that we have, I want to take a, a couple a little short looks at ways that we can apply Jesus' advice in this parable to our own lives. So that we can be cautious toward the things of this world, but wise toward the things of God. And the first one of those things, I think, is that we should be wise with our resources, but beware of earthly enticements. Right, be wise with our resources, but beware of earthly enticements. You can't help but notice right, the commercials and advertising anymore are all around us. And over the past number of years, advertising has actually turned into a science, right, complete with psychological studies and surveys and enough research and enough data to accurately predict what hot buttons they can push to get all of us to let go of our money. Right? And, and if you're not wise, you can fall prey to their traps, like those commercials that try to make you feel like a reject if you don't have all the latest gizmos and gadgets, if you're not constantly attending you know, weekend parties with the smart set, instead of following Jesus' advice that's just two chapters back when he says instead, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends and brothers and relatives and rich neighbors, for they'll invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And folks, that's the kind of thoughtfulness with how we need to spend our resources that goes hand in hand with, I think, a, a very important second point, and that's be wise with your relationships. Be wise with your relationships. I read a, what I thought was a kind of a funny story this week about a, a couple named Henry and Henrietta who were touring their brand new house, a house that uh, Henrietta had paid for with her own money, and as they walked through each room, she would always turn and say to her husband, now, Henry, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't be here. Henry didn't, didn't say a word back. That afternoon, two big trucks delivered a house full of furniture, uh, furniture that Henrietta had paid for with her own money, and as each piece came in, she reminded her husband, now, honey, if it weren't for my money, none of this would be here. And, and again, Henry was silent, until finally, after everything had been delivered, and the last piece was unloaded, the piece that was the focal point of his den. It was a 110-inch flat-screen TV, surround sound capacity, state-of-the-art stereo, all wrapped in a gorgeous piece of oak, uh, which Henrietta paid for with her money. And when it was in place, Henrietta turned to her husband, who was already comfortably seated in front of it, and said, Now, honey, don't forget, if it weren't for my money, that piece of furniture wouldn't be here. To which Henry finally replied, Honey, you don't have to keep saying that, because if it weren't for your money... I wouldn't be here either. (laughs) 
that's a pretty good example of how the people of this world live, isn't it? Isn't that a good example of what our culture is like, the what's in it for me culture, right? But Jesus reminds us that the kingdom isn't about bean counting, and it isn't about what we can personally get out of it, but instead the kingdom is about replicating our relationship with God in the relationships that we have with each other, right? It's, it's about actively caring for each other and being compassionate toward one another and seeking ways to meet each other's needs. That's what mature Christians do. That's what we should look like. Actually focusing on effective and efficient use of our worldly wealth, not for money-making, but for relationship-building. And at the same time, also, uh, it's a warning to be careful about who you get too close to and who you bring into your life. Right? A wise Christian will choose people that will build them up and that will help them build up their faith and bring them wisdom and godliness. And they'll also realize that wrong relationships can lead you into sin. And so we have to be shrewd enough to understand that being a loving and caring Christian doesn't mean you have to hang around with people you know are going to lead you astray. And so we need to ask for godly wisdom in our relationships so we can guard our hearts from corrupting influences. Just as the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so church, the message is cultivate relationships that encourage you to get closer to the Lord instead of further away. And that leads me to my final point, which is be shrewd with your time. How much of our time do we spend in Facebook or on the computer uh, or a smartphone or tablet? And more importantly, what are you getting out of it? What are you actually getting out of it? Are those, are those things getting you further down the road to sanctification, or are you spending too much time on things that take you in the opposite direction and are no help at all? As someone has said, we need to be more careful with our time than with our money because time is something you can never get any more of. And if we're serious about being shrewd with it, we need to be reading God's word because, church, it contains some of the most precious and profound wisdom on earth, right? Particularly like Wednesday night, right, when we're looking at the book of Proverbs and we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes. Uh, we look at the writings of Peter and Paul in Sunday school. But most importantly, church, the precious words of our Lord Jesus in the proclamation of the gospel, right? Brothers and sisters, our time on this earth is limited and we need to be careful how we're spending it. Making sure the things we do today benefit our tomorrows and guard our hearts. Uh, because as Jesus says in, in Matthew 10, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So be shrewd like snakes and innocent like doves. Another, a different translation says shrewd uh, and replaces it with the word wise. But either way, we need to be as crafty as serpents in dealing with the things of this world, but as harmless as doves in dealing with one another. Because Jesus' parable today is encouraging us to be both innocent and smart. Jesus is not really dealing with money or debt or commending a person for being dishonest, but this parable is really about our commitment to the things of God. Because Jesus wants our lifestyle to be committed to him. He wants the way we act and the way we think and the decisions that we make and the way we interact with others all to be influenced by our commitment to him. Do you see the point that he's making here? He's saying that since the people of this world are so intense in their dishonest way of life, why aren't my followers at least as intense about me, right? In other words, if the crooks of this world will stop at nothing to make money, why aren't we who follow Jesus as committed with such ambition and dedication, right? Do we practice our prayer life the way a criminal tries to cover his tracks? Do we have as much desire to spread the gospel as a corrupt politician does to spread lies? Do we have the same desire to hide God's word in our hearts as a cheating spouse does to hide an affair? 
And so Jesus is saying, why aren't you at least as committed to me with as much shrewdness as the people of this world are in looking out for themselves? Because we're living on borrowed time with things that God has entrusted us with, like stewards managing an estate. And at any moment, church, God can call us in and ask us to turn in an account of our lives. And sadly, too many of us wait until the last minute to realize that. That's why now, today, we need to wake up before it's too late. And we need to ask ourselves how many of the things that we spend our day doing are of any lasting value. Because, church, Jesus doesn't want us for just one hour a week on Sunday mornings. He wants every hour of every day, and he wants our presence to be close together, to be fully committed, to bring his love into every life we encounter, to share the truth of the gospel with a dying generation, and the truth that even though it wasn't fair, and even though it isn't the justice we deserve, that God has done for us in Christ the very same thing that Stuart did with those debts, except he didn't just discount them, he paid them in full despite the fact that they were a mess of our own making. Just like it says in Colossians 2, that you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Right, Clearing our credit rating with the Father. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so that he could offer us, church, the deal of a lifetime. And say in the words of Isaiah, Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. And so that, church, we won't be ashamed at his appearing. And we can hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And, church, part of that joy... Uh, is the foretaste of the table that we have before us, the great banquet table of the king and the true riches of heaven. And so I invite you to join me there. Let's pray together. Father God, it's truly right and our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially, Father, in this Holy Supper, uh, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus and asking you by the joy of his resurrection and an expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love so we can confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this time, in this place, that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.